Welcome to the Mind Tales podcast. We are a fast-growing tech mental health organization here to bring you the insights that you need to boost your emotional health and thrive in your daily life. It's our goal to make quality mental health care both accessible and inclusive. That's why part of our mission is to get discussions, conversations, and debates about mental health going. From psychiatrists to educators, entrepreneurs, and community members, we bring you the stories and experiences of health advocates from around the world. And that's what we're going to do today. If you like our episode or have any suggestions for future content, please like it, leave a comment, or connect with us on Instagram at MindTalesOfficial. It makes us so happy to hear from the MindTales community. Thank you for joining us today on the Mind Tales Collective podcast. It's amazing to have you with us today. So tell us how you're doing. Yeah, thank you so much, Raisa. It's a wonderful opportunity. I'm really excited to be here. It's been a good day and I'm looking forward to this podcast. Thanks. Amazing. Dr. Ruchi Dana, you've worn so many hats throughout your career. You're an award-winning doctor, a serial entrepreneur, a social impact investor. And on top of that, you've also led so many startups and you've also been to Stanford University and received a couple degrees, including your MBA. So we can't wait for you to get more into your personal journey, share with us how it's been so far. And it all started in Libya. So if you'd be okay just walking us through your personal journey into medicine, also growing up, and, and where did your affinity for helping others stem from? Sure, sure. No, that's that's a good question, and it's a question that's close to my heart. So I was actually born and raised in, in Libya, in, in North Africa. So both of my parents were doctors there. My dad was a general surgeon, and my mom was a gynecologist. And uh, me and my brother, both of them, both of us were born in Libya. And it was really good to to grow up in Libya. It was a communist country and we need like almost everybody was equal and we everybody got to wear the same clothes. We all ate the same food. So it was like a really good community, yeah, like apart from like uh, what we read in the media and what we hear in the media, but like growing up in, yeah. in Libya was definitely a, a really good uh, opportunity for us. And the, even the Indian community was sizable and it was very tightly built. So we need, we had the necessary support structure in terms of like uh, childcare and all, like the families used to depend on each other. There was a right. high school as well. So that, that helped us quite a lot. So it was, it was good growing up in Libya, but uh, both of my parents were doctors and they had a really busy life because they used to be on calls uh, a lot of times. So I, I remember me and my brother, oftentimes we, we used to wait in the cars to uh, for, <laughs> yeah. like, either my dad or my mom, because one of them would be in the hospital and the other would be in the car with us. So the yeah. smell of hospital rooms, the smell, the, the entire mm. look of the hospital walkway, it's something that has been ingrained into both me and my brother. So both of us actually studied to become doctors later. Oh, on. wow. And, Even your brother. Yeah. Yeah. And, and, and the main reason for that was that uh, the kind of respect that we saw from uh, the patients, the local Libyans and, and everybody for our parents was, was immense. Like whenever they used to be like, any festival like Eid and all they used to gift us a lot of like you know uh, meat and all of these things yeah. and, and our freezers used to be full of uh, like uh, meat and camel mm -hmm. milk and all of that. Mm -hmm. it was really good 
and we used to visit a lot of farms that the local Libyans had and, and it was really exciting to grow up there and, and it's just like mainly the respect factor, I guess, like uh, the kind of respect that my parents used to get because my mom used to deliver the babies of the local Libyans. Well, uh, yeah. so they used to have like a very good relationship with each other. And so that was uh, one thing that actually led me to, to choose medicine. Uh, like it was mm. something that was like, I didn't even have to think about it. Like that was a natural decision for me to choose medicine. Right, it, it sounds like it. and. I mean, I can only imagine how that was. And, and how was it transitioning out of Libya? Where did you go next? Yeah, so uh, when the Libyan sanctions happened in early 1990s, that's when my, my dad decided to move uh, away from Libya and uh, we settled on in Dubai. And the reason for okay. settling in Dubai was that we didn't really know anybody here, but whenever we used to go to Libya from India, there was always a transit in Dubai. So my dad saw right. that Dubai was yeah the way was growing there was a good Indian community in Dubai and that was like the sole reason that my, my dad decided mm -hmm. to shift to Dubai and in fact my mom stayed back for a couple of years in Libya with with me and my brother and okay. uh, while my dad okay. was setting up his own business here in Dubai so uh, my, my dad actually stopped uh, practicing surgery when he came to Dubai and he started his own business he started mm -hmm. off with medical equipment trading you know like selling uh, hospital beds wheelchairs braille mm -hmm. watches and all that people because Libya was still a closed economy and, and like the people in Libya used to demand a lot of things so he started off with a trading company he got the seed capital from one of his patients who actually wow. supported him quite a lot and and he started off with a small trading company and he used to supply mainly medical equipment to Libya but uh, slowly he realized that there was a huge demand for other goods as well and that's that's mm -hmm. when he entered into manufacturing of goods and uh, that's that's where the family business is now. So instead of like just trading of equipment, right. we're also into manufacturing. And uh, one of the main products that we manufacture is steel and oil. And uh, we also have real estate, commercial mixed properties, labor camps, warehouses. And wow. in India, we have a hospital and a nursing college. So that, that was the dream that my dad had when he moved yeah. outside of India, that he would eventually own a hospital in, in India. So that dream came true recently. It's been six years now that uh, we have this hospital in India. And uh, even though it's it's run by uh, a group of doctors, but it carries our name and that's uh, that's really important for yeah. us. Yeah, so, Dana groups or something yeah. similar. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. So so, so that, that actually shaped up quite a lot of uh, mine and my, my brother's life. So when eventually we moved from Libya to Dubai, we realized that like, uh, like healthcare was definitely something that was close to our heart. So we practiced... Yeah. We went to medical college, we got uh, selected in the first attempt, both of us, and, and then uh, practiced uh, medicine for a bit. But when I was in my medical college days, and my dad was like, uh, just uh, like working on his business, he was growing his business. I realized that that's something that uh, like entrepreneurship is something that I would love to try out. And yeah. the main reason yeah. And, and the main reason for that was that even when I was a kid back in Libya, like uh, we used to have, like we used to dissect frogs and uh, like just mm. uh, for, for fun. And like whenever my, my parents used to get any toy, like me and my brother would break it up and use the motor to create something new out of it. Like instead of a car, we would make a, a small boat and try it out in the water. Right. So that was something that was like within within our, our genes. And, and I really wanted to do something on it. The best part is that like in my medical college, I found a professor who was uh, like working on low cost medical devices and yeah. it's just by chance 
but I, I came across him and, and uh, we had an interesting conversation and I, mm -hmm. and I asked him if he would be willing to be my mentor and he agreed. So that was a life-changing decision for me because right. in medical college, there are very, very few uh, students that go into the medical device industry or, or work on innovation or startups because it's a, it's a difficult field to get into first of all. And then like uh, uh, it's, it's very risky to move away from the clinical practice and do something in, in terms of uh, medical devices or entrepreneurship. And that's when I decided to actually apply to business schools. And uh, I got through into uh, like many of the business schools. I got a full scholarship from MIT Sloan. Wow, I went for the yeah, I went for the admit weekend. I, I loved uh, the, the campus there, but but when the Stanford results came, I, I immediately chose Stanford. And, and the reason behind that was the focus on entrepreneurship. And uh, yeah. the, the other thing was that they also had a Stanford biodesign program. So it was one of the first programs in the US in which like you had people who uh, were from various disciplines come together and solve for unmet clinical needs. So you had doctors, engineers, lawyers, PhD students. Wow, yeah. MBAs. Absolutely. It's so interesting that you've pinpointed these different areas that one, I, I mean, looking back, it's so interesting how this interest in medical devices stems so early on in your professional trajectory. And I think that might have also shaped some of the later startups that you ended up leading or just how you ended up merging your interests in business and, and medicine. So I'd love to hear more about that. Um, and so where exactly do you see the intersection of the business and medicine worlds uh, before when you were first joining and currently now? Yeah, so so initially when when uh, back in 2008 and all the, the main uh, medical innovation that used to happen was like stents for, for heart, like catheters, like those were the devices that were being built. But these days we see like a lot of focus on digital health and like solving problems for the patients and patient-centric applications. Uh, and there's a lot of focus on IoTs, yeah. wearables. Yeah. So, you know, like remote patient monitoring, like you can, you, you don't need to go to a doctor to get your vitals checked and all, everything can be checked. Uh, and, and the doctor can have access mm -hmm. to real-time data. I think that's game-changing. One of the new things that we recently saw was outcome-based approaches. Mm -hmm. So uh, like traditionally healthcare has been so expensive, but if you tie uh, the incentives of companies to outcomes, I think that would mm -hmm. be a game-changer. Right. To bring down the entire burden of uh, like the, health, the healthcare burden of the countries uh, to a minimum. Right. And uh, these days, because of COVID-19, there's also a lot of focus on preventive healthcare. Yeah. Uh, recently, I was on, on an all doctors panel and uh, like all the doctors were saying that the patients are so much more adherent to the medications that we give these days because everybody's afraid of uh, COVID-19 and the comorbidities that people have. Yeah, so, so people are focusing a lot on preventive healthcare. And that, again, I think it's a huge uh, behavioral shift in, in the patients because like, mm. if we try to focus more on preventive healthcare, then this entire problem of chronic disease management, who's, which is, again, a huge mm. burden to the healthcare systems, that might be yeah. managed well. So I think like these, these are few sectors to watch out for. And apart from that, just because of COVID-19, there has been a lot of focus on cybersecurity as well, not just in healthcare, but almost in, in all the industries, but in mm -hmm. healthcare particularly, there has been a lot of focus. And one of the reasons uh, for that was that uh, in the US, there was this one hospital that was attacked uh, and uh, they were being asked for ransomware and the mm -hmm. hospital actually had to pay ransom to get the patient data back. So that was a huge wake up wow. call for the entire yeah. community. Like the hospitals worldwide are now 
paying attention to security, cybersecurity, and, and working out um, like things on this. So a number of startups that will work on cybersecurity at the intersection right. of like IT and hospitals, I think that those would be uh, the new trends to watch out for. Mm. And similarly, if we say, look at telehealth or remote patient mm. monitoring, again, like the more devices that you have access to and the more devices that your data is shared on, there, there's a more risk for cybersecurity there. So again, like I think like this, this yeah. further proof that cybersecurity is something that uh, like would be there uh, for the near future. Yeah. And I think like uh, there, there were some uh, more trends uh, in terms of like using AI for um, image-based care, like uh, radiology, mm -hmm. pathology and all those, those have, have been working on for, for a long period of time. But now there's also a lot of focus on the use of AI for drug development and okay. drug repurposing. And that would actually change the entire biotech industry, the pharma industry. Right. And, and pharma, uh, the big pharma, like the, these are huge traditional industries in which like it's very difficult to disrupt. But I think yeah. finally these industries would be disrupted because the amount of time that it takes to develop a new molecule with the help mm -hmm. of AI is much, much lesser as, as and when compared it uh, to a proper uh, trial mm -hmm. in, in the labs and also like I think the use of AI for drug uh, repurposing, drug discovery, and even the use of AI for finding out new biomarkers right. for various diseases. Yeah. I think that's something that that would shape up the, uh, the healthcare industry in the near future. Definitely. And I think this relates so nicely to um, later on your work with Duluth Medical Technologies, which is a silicon based uh, robotic medical device startup. Um, and the focus there is also on affordability and low cost surgical robots as well. And so when it comes in general to creating low cost devices, shifting down the pressure of healthcare and just sustainable long lasting innovation in general, how do you see the goals of the United Nations, the sustainable development goals in particular, shaping the startup community and shaping this entrepreneurial uh, push for the future? Yeah, I think like the, the sustainable development goals have focus, have made the entire startup community and not just the startup community, but even the investor community much, much more aware about like what are the things that you should focus on. And right. because of COVID-19, again, like the investors definitely saw it that like the, the startups that were focusing more on sustainability were the ones that, that emerged as winners, while the startups that were just focusing on metrics and, and just general fluff, those were the ones that had to raise more funds and, and eventually got into trouble. So I think like right. the, the startups that focused more on frugal innovation, on the sustainable uh, development goals, those are the startups that have been able to sustain have have been much more resistant and, and resilient to the crisis situation so like this has been a lot of focus on these startups and in fact there are a number of investors that are now uh, investing just on like on the basis of the sdgs there are a number of mm. impact mm -hmm. funds out there and and who are working on like figuring out the triple bottom line approach and figuring out like what are the startups that you should be investing into any even if you look at family offices they have been focusing a lot on on the sustainable startups because they have more patient capital and it's it's all about like leaving that legacy and leaving that impact behind so we see like there are a number of startups right. that are focusing on these goals and even uh even the, the younger uh, generation that's coming out of universities and all, they are much, much more aware about their surroundings and the environment mm. and they're working on 
more sustainable ideas, if, be it like uh, something organic or being, be it something that's good for the environment. I think like there's this entire awareness that's there in the millennials and that, that would be definitely shaping up the startup community in the near future. And uh, similarly, if you talk about like uh, this one particular uh, VC fund that I'm advising in, in that, like if you look at the portfolio of the companies, they like instead of just listing out the companies, they list out companies with uh, which are like doing something for particular SDGs. Mm. So then they number out the, the SDG, like SDG, this, this company is working for health. So it's, it's SDG wow, number yeah. three. And similar, so it's it's much much more easier for the investors and even for the advisors or or like whoever are the stakeholders to just understand. Okay, these are the portfolio companies that I should be looking at. These these are the companies that would be interesting wow. to me. Absolutely, and I think as this behavioral shift also comes about, it'll be interesting to see how it motivates other startups to pay more attention to these SDGs as well, and how it serves as this motivational factor of something that you kind of now have to include or perhaps pay attention to or give some credence to whilst you're uh, looking for investors and, and looking to support your startup. Exactly, exactly. Okay, and so Ruchi, amongst many of your achievements, you were also named as Forbes Middle East Power Businesswoman of 2020. And you've also been recognized as a next gen leader for three consecutive years from 2017 onwards. So I also want to turn our attention to women's career trajectories during the pandemic. And so this has had such a transformational effect, leaving one in four women who have considered opting out of work or leaving their jobs entirely. Um, because of healthcare and housework pressures. So, uh, I mean, that's a bit of a simplification, but I guess just on, on a larger level and a larger scale. So tell us more about this trend and how have you personally experienced this trend unfolding? Yeah, it's interesting you bring this topic up because uh, recently I was reading this UN report on, on this topic and in fact, the UN chief um, Strantino uh, made a comment that th there has been a disproportionate and devastating socioeconomic impact of COVID-19 on women and girls globally. And he called for a major push to prevent years and even generations worth of progress on women's empowerment from being lost to the pandemic. I think like mm -hmm. that, that, that statement itself was, uh, had such an impact on, on me. And when I was thinking about it, and in fact, like I was, speaking to to friends and and colleagues uh, from all over the world and i realized that this is a problem that people uh, are definitely facing because uh, at least in the uae like you have sort of access to child care and like even like in terms of like online schooling things are getting managed to a certain mm -hmm. level and uh, physical things are getting resumed but if you look at other countries there there are countries in which like online schooling is still going on and there's yeah. no access to child care and then there there's this entire pressure of work and even if you look at corporates some of the corporates are not uh, being enough flexible about like working from home and, and all of that so I think like losing these senior executive women uh, just like that I think like that would be a big big loss for the entire world for the entire economy as well because mm -hmm. women uh, could create a, a huge impact in terms of like even like uh, economic impact for the entire economy and I think like yeah. um, as and when we were seeing women grow and and be uh, like uh, 
major um, like breadwinners for the families we also saw women being big angel investors to the startup community so like right. that entire ecosystem would also get big uh, entirely disrupted because like you only if you have more women supporting more women in the, in the entire startup ecosystem that's when you'll see like more and more women emerge as winners and they would further support uh, more women and this is like uh, one of the things uh, that i have studied uh, immensely like if you look at the women founders they they are uh, like it, it's hardly anything that they are able to raise in any mm-hmm. funding like it's almost like oh, in comparison the, yeah yeah in comparison to the to the male founders and similarly uh, like if you look at women vc funds in which like uh, vc funds which are run by women who are emerging managers they again are struggling a lot in terms of like raising mm-hmm. funds but like having these senior women just leave the workforce i think that that would be a huge disaster for for the entire community and similarly i've i've also seen that uh, there suddenly like there were a number of rules that came out that that helped women to get on boards and even uae came up with the rule yeah. that every company should have at least one woman on board i think that that would be the uh, the right direction to go forward to because if you have right. more representation of women on the boardrooms they'll be able to affect certain policy changes in the corporates and be able to bring a fresh perspective to the corporates and right. and yeah if you have these women on board the, the, these women who become decision makers they can actually have certain policies that would be favorable for women in terms of like flexible uh, working uh, from home policies and all mm-hmm. and in general you need more representation on the boardrooms because like uh, most of these companies are consumer product companies and mm-hmm. uh, the ultimate decision makers for consumer products is women so you need that representation of the market on the boardroom itself and i think like yeah. uh, the, these are some good changes that i've recently seen in in uae that uh, you need at least one woman on a public board yeah. we had this policy in place in india already and similarly this policy had come in in california in the us so this is something that's that's been working out well but like for the senior executive still uh, like i'm at loss of words to uh, come up with a solution and i myself feel very helpless to to just read right. about this thing that the amount of progress that we made over all of these years it's coming to to almost nothing if you see like so many, mm. so many senior women just just opting out of workforce because of the situation what because of the burnout and similarly if you look yeah. at the, the healthcare sector the healthcare sector had a lot of women like there are a lot of doctors and nurses that are females but they again are getting so much burned out and and the other thing is that even if you look at the masks yeah. the masks that are available in the market they are not suitable for women there's this un report that came out that that mm-hmm. mentioned this and that's the reason that women are much more susceptible to getting a covid infection so that's actually affecting wow. the physical life of these women as well right. and when you look at young kids who who had this dream of becoming a doctor and all mm-hmm. they are now getting influenced by by such things and and they are trying to think of alternative career paths so i think like that again is something that uh, we should definitely look into and again like having the representation of women on the boardrooms would have made this these mass companies realize that you need yeah. to make special well yeah yeah so i think like this is one solution that i can personally think of that having more representation of women on the boardroom would would help uh, the entire community in a big big way right and just going back quickly to the angel investing community and representation of women there what initiatives are coming about in that arena that you've seen yeah so uh 
in in the us itself there were number of angel funds that were focused on on women founders and most of the angels that that were out there for these funds were women women from the wall street and women yeah. from senior positions yeah and it's the, the entire ecosystem changed because uh, because these women have faced a lot of discrimination in 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 their working life in, on the wall street and also and so now that they are angel investors they they can actually bring about a change in the society and similarly Absolutely. even in the yeah. uae even in asia we are now seeing women focused uh, funds that are coming that are focusing yeah. on like having at least uh, one woman founder or one woman in the leadership team yeah. but one of the things about these things these funds is that they need at least certain percentage of equity for that woman to to have on on the leadership team because one of the loopholes of of uh, like these funds was that there were a number of startups that used to get uh, like a woman co-founder but what would give them give the woman just a minor equity just for the sake of getting access to these yeah. so the funds have now realized that this is something that they should focus on that's why like they they re, they have like clear guidelines about the percentage of equity that a woman co-founder should have to be eligible to get funding from these funds so important yes no um yeah so it's been it's been so interesting to hear you speak more about this but before you go we'd love to turn our attention to your thoughts on action oriented self care self love and other essential pillars for high performance and well being overall so i'm curious to know what has your relationship with mental health your own mental health been like over the years and has it changed or shifted how do you take care take care of your take care of your emotional health to focus on like what are the things that bring joy to you like just listing out like maybe 10 15 things that that bring joy to you like it would be like a a favorite place that you want want to sit uh, maybe a garden where you would like to yeah. watch some flowers or some birds or something something that brings peace to you i think like jotting down that list and keeping it with you uh, maybe in a journal or or on a piece of paper so like whenever you feel stressed out we ha- you have like some sort of anxiety you can look into the list and and uh, like go to one of these places or uh, like do one of these things that actually bring joy to you because it's all about like first of all you should be able to take care of yourself only then you'd be able to take care of your family oh, or others, or your self yeah. love self care is really really important it's a critical factor because like uh, these days like uh, our our life is being lived in the middle of a chaos you don't know what's what's going to happen there's so many insecurities yeah. in terms of like job losses or or even like uh, strain to physical health and and life of people that you know and and yourself or your family and loved ones so i think like having a resource that you can actually rely on like having a, a physical list of things that you can actually rely on that brings you some sort of joy some sort of comfort and being much much more aware about the feelings that you're feeling so like having a feeling will with you and think about like oh, okay i'm feeling sad or i'm feeling happy because it's not always that you'd be feeling sad oftentimes you'd also be feeling happy but if you just like journal down those thoughts that uh, today i'm feeling good and and all i think that's something that you could mm-hmm. help you in the long term because once you go back and read the journal that oh this is something good that had happened to me that yeah. day that, that like an entire emotion of happiness to uh, to your entire well being so i think like that's important in terms of uh, being self loving taking care of yourself and when it comes to like communication with others like if there's a trigger that's uh, that's been there 
or if you're facing uh, problems in a particular relationship i think just like lining out the boundaries mm-hmm. and talking to the person that this is okay for me and this is not okay for me these these mm-hmm. words are okay for me and but don't use these words with me and i think like mm-hmm. in these times and dates everybody would be understanding to such uh, such situations mm-hmm. if you are openly talking about such things i think everybody is considerate enough to uh, to make sure to not use those words or not cross the boundaries that you're setting mm-hmm. up for yourself because almost everybody is facing some sort of uh, situation in the mental health space because like people that you know and there's uh, this a lot of anxiety about like what would happen like when would this crisis be over when would i be able to yeah. go back home yeah and all things right so i think like overall people are much much more receptive so if if you are facing particular issues with some person it's important to just talk it out and uh, i'm i'm sure the other person might also be feeling some things and you you might be able to comfort him so that that would be one other thing when you when it comes to communication with others and apart from that just managing your life in in a way that uh, you don't feel overwhelmed because oftentimes i've seen like especially if you talk about women entrepreneurs who have a lot of things on on her plate mm-hmm. they would be like they would not be able to understand like what what to do next and oftentimes like uh, if let's say if a couple of hours go by when when they didn't do anything productive or maybe the kid was disturbing them and all they would feel that oh why did i waste this time and oh what happened and they'd feel they'd just add a lot of stress on to the situation so i think that doesn't help at all it's important to just manage your thoughts and maybe like have a calendar uh with you at all times in which like you can you, if if there's something that's bothering you you can just put it on the mm-hmm. calendar and forget about it that this is i'll take care of it at, at this at particular that time, hour or, yeah yeah because like if you have so many thoughts going out in your head then you cannot actually do anything productive so so just being present in the moment like adding some things to your routine like exercise or or uh, like spending time with your kids or things that give you some sort of peace i think that that would be important and apart from that if there's there are things that are bothering you just put them out in a calendar and and instead of running away from them just schedule a time for that particular thing that this is one hour that i'll focus just on this particular mm-hmm. problem and i think that's that's a way to to think about uh, this because like these days we are living in the middle of a chaos and and it, the more systematic you'd be able to uh, schedule uh, like your calendar the, the better your life would be because like you'd never know like what's what's the next thing that will come out and hit you so it's it's yeah. important to like not get overwhelmed everybody is in the same boat like nobody knows what what will happen in the near future but just like in, instead of being so hard on yourself and stressing it out it's important to just think about like things that give you peace and and think about things that uh, would be uh, important for you in the next like few days setting out goals for a day maybe if i get these three particular things done in one day that's that's good enough for me yeah. just setting up small goals and and working towards that i think that would be helpful yeah just listening to you talk about all of this calms me down as well. Um thank you for sharing such great advice with with our community. I think these are wonderful action-oriented self-care tips that also have this wonderful balance of reflection but also moving forward and and being a bit proactive in in taking care of your mental health. So thank you so much uh Ruchi for being here with us on the Mind Tales Collective podcast. It's been a pleasure talking to you. 
Thank you so much, Raisa. It was my pleasure and I'm looking forward to Thanks for tuning in to the Mind Tales Collective. If there were any questions that stood out to you, don't let these conversations stop here. Share your thoughts with your family and friends or send over a quick message to us on Instagram to share your thoughts with us. And don't forget to hit the follow button. You can find us at Mind Tales Official. We know it's been a tough year. We want to remind you to check in on how you're feeling and ask for help if you need it. Remember, self-care is more than a band-aid. Your mental health is important. Stay tuned for more content next week. Take care and talk to you soon.